This is the fourth episode of the Controlled Pairs podcast, and this time around, we're excited to welcome my buddy Taylor McCubbin to the show. Taylor is the founder and CEO of a company called Chimera XR. Chimera XR makes virtual reality CQB training software and hardware for law enforcement and military use. It was exciting to pick Taylor's brain on the future of combat simulations and the role that virtual reality is going to play in that endeavor. We also talked a little bit about my time in the military as well as my theory on training and doctrine and all things gaming. You guys are going to enjoy this one. I'm Controlled Pairs. This is episode four of the Controlled Pairs podcast. Here we go. Taylor, what's going on, man? It's great to see you. How are you? Great to see you, too. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty excited to be here. Thanks for having me. I am, too. I'm, uh, I always start these shows. This is our fourth one, uh, and I've always started by saying thanks for being here and giving me you know, a couple minutes of your time. We typically go like an hour, hour and a half, um, or really however long it takes, but uh, I know that's a, an investment of time, and time's a, a scarce resource, so I appreciate you being willing to spend that time with me this evening. It's a no-brainer, man. It's a no-brainer. I'm, I'm excited. Outstanding. Um, so uh, you are the founder and CEO of Chimera XR. Is that a correct uh, title that I've applied to you? You got it. Okay. What uh, What is Chimera XR and what do the good people of the Controlled Pairs podcast need to know about you? Okay, cool. Uh, so we help military and law enforcement members train anywhere, anytime through virtual reality. And I think my message to the controlled pairs membership is that we strongly believe that gaming and simulation are kind of two sides of the same coin that they play on each other. They've built on each other for decades, arguably uh, off of each other's backs in some ways. Our system is literally built from a game called squad from a company called off world in British Columbia, Canada. So we're super excited that, you know, we have sort of this like, amazing team of developers that come from games like gears of war but also have you know people on our team with experience 15 20 years in the military um or you know or or law enforcement experience and then melding those two together so i'm excited to say that i think this is like probably one of the most unique podcasts i I could be on personally um and most unique groups i could be talking to and, and individuals um because I think you guys get it. I think if if the group is representative of what I see, you know, controlled pairs as a as a organization or brand or whatever sure. you want to call this movement that's happening here, you know, you guys get it. You see that there's a place for games and gaming and enjoying that and just having fun and just oh man, what was that video I saw of you guys like somebody fragged somebody? It was hilarious. I mean, there's a, <laughs> probably a billion of those. Oh, Everyone's yeah. going, which one? Uh, but at the same time, that you recognize the the value and the potential that the the kind of crossbreeding can have. So we're excited about it. And for those of you that might be wondering, you know, right now we're focusing on who I believe needs this technology the most, which is um, our men and women in uniform in, you know, in all aspects of service. But, you know, I think in the future, we'll also be looking at um, more, um, you know, armed kind of um, responsible citizen elements as well wow that's actually big because that's the first time i've heard you say that and i was going to ask you about that later in the show um because i know historically it's been very much uh, law enforcement military kind of exclusive some of that probably because the technology is expensive and it's in its nascent stages and and all that sort of stuff and and you need to deploy it where it's most needed early um but it is exciting to hear you say that that you're open 
uh, at a later point to making it available to uh to a more broad uh array of people so that's huge um concur you know enthusiastically with everything you said with respect to kind of the conglomerate of humans that we've got in this discord server and uh and on my youtube channel and it's a weird hodgepodge of groups because like on one end we've got you know young people like quite literally teenagers and, and, and extremely young people um enjoying games as a hobby but like that same population of people that was me um, 15 years ago, super interested in, in tactics and technology, um, and games. And it was entertaining. Um, and you know, I feel like a lot of young men and women grow up playing soldier or policeman for a really long time. And guess what? At some point you stop playing (laughs) and a lot of people end up doing, uh, and then, uh, once you're done doing, you keep playing, right? Like, so like, it's a, it's this weird kind of back and forth. So, um, we, we have a representative population of people, um, before, during and after service, and then just enthusiasts and, uh, and uh, it's a pretty eclectic and, and cool group of folks. And I'm glad that you're here. Um, so uh, I, I know that you've got a, kind of a military background yourself um, to a certain degree. Can you can you talk a little bit about that and um, tell people what you did uh, in the Canadian Armed Forces? Yeah, for sure. So I am in the process of retiring. Um, technically, my last like my last day in uniform was back in November. Um, but this is the culmination of 15 years of service with Canadian Armed Forces, both full-time and part-time. I've been a reservist the whole time, which has been amazing and allowed me to, you know, study, go to university in, in Canada for criminology at the University of Toronto and uh, and still serve and still learn about, you know, how to be of service and how to be in uniform. And then growing up in the military, like, you know, starting at age 16 for me, basically growing up in the military was um an amazing experience and and really i wouldn't trade it for anything i recommend it to basically everybody because i think it you know if you look at it the right way it can only help you and uh anyway so in the military i I did a variety of things in the infantry um my majority of my service was reserve reserve infantry and uh full-time contracts you know rotating back to part-time doing some city stuff some security work learning about other other things in life which is always cool um, a couple of domestic deployments. I went to the uh, the Arctic in 2008. I went to Northern Ontario um, for like a like a remote. I don't really know how to describe it. It was like a remote um, sort of like a not networking is not the right word. It was like a community. There's like a community sovereignty element to Northern Northern Canada where you have to you know be present and connect with the communities and work with. The leaders in those areas so we i did some of that and uh we also did we had an operation to bring syrian refugees into canada I participated oh, wow. in that operation but that was all domestic um sure. i missed my shot in afghanistan by a, a small margin and in our world it's not you know you will go to afghanistan it yeah. was um, you have to volunteer and be selected and sure. and it was pretty tough so i missed that one um I ended up getting into firearms instruction by accident because I was trying out for different SF units. Um, I tried out for basically all of our SF units. Like I tried out for CGIRU, CSOR, and JTF2. Um, and that process taught me a lot about myself. And in the same oh, yeah. vein, while I was training for that, I was learning a lot about firearms instruction and simulation and how they work together. And so that's that's what... I did the end end of my career essentially was focus on um, how to build programs using simulation integrated with live training. And then, you know, uh, I started 
my first company, which is the training company, uh, Chimera Firearms Training, and that eventually created this this second company, which is Chimera XR, which is what you know we're talking about more often today here, uh, because it's product focused around VR training. But uh, you know, interestingly enough, I ended my career in the intelligence branch. I ended up trying out something different, and saying, "Hey, what's what's it like to use my head only, really, yeah. right, and not." You know, not walk with a rucksack, not do recce, not do any of those things anymore. Um, and so I did uh, deployment for the pandemic as part of the intelligence um, branch in Canada. And that was, yeah, that was pretty much it for me. That's awesome. So a lot of really broad experience, frankly, and a lot of it. Um, and and I, I like that you, you got to touch a lot of different parts of, uh, of the military, especially on the reserve side, domestic deployments, which is something that I don't have, um, a lot of experience with, uh, to be honest with you. Uh, but I've, but I've been envious of that cause it's always, um, like when you see your, your country hurting and you know, service members have the chance to go help. Um, I've got some, uh, I don't know, I've, I've missed those opportunities and, and it would have been great to be of service, uh, in the, you know, domestically when my, when my country needed me to be, um. Uh, but I was called elsewhere and that's all good too. The, um, and that's awesome that you, you migrated into the SIM side at work. Um, and then also, uh, in the Intel side. Um, so that's, that's fantastic. And I, we didn't mention it earlier, but it's worth mentioning to the audience probably, um, that you and I obviously know each other, um, have interacted on socials a long time ago and then I uh, got to hang out, um, at an industry conference, you know, a few months back, which was, uh, which was pretty fantastic. Um, so why don't we talk about ITSIC real quick? Um, that was the first time that I have ever been. And for those listening, um, ITSEC is a, uh, it's an industry conference where folks have the opportunity to get hands-on with the latest and greatest in defense simulations technology. There's a lot of like nascent and emerging stuff, uh, on the show floor. A lot of people presenting tech demos for the very first time. Um, and I got the chance to go down there and, and link up with uh, a group of dudes from the UK called the UK fight club, um, which is a, a group of military professionals who uh, are using simulations to train warfighters and, and get better at, at doing their job. Um, and then Taylor was there, of course, showcasing, showcasing Chimera. So um, what did you think of the conference this year? How did that compare to previous ones that you might've attended? Um, what was your overall like kind of takeaway from there? It's like is a must see conference. If you're interested in, in simulation and in broadening your horizons about simulation, it's, it never fails to to just broaden the experience of what can people do in simulation that is of value. Um, and so it, it was phenomenal being a part of Fight Club's booth. Fight Club as an organization is, I would say, um, it has a lot of similarities maybe to this community here and yeah. control players uh, in, in this network you have, which is, you know, there's a deep passion for games and competition and you know the community around that of course there's a very strong defense part to that because they mostly interact based on their military connections in nato and europe and, and now in the us as well uh but there are a, like a vast variety of people in that organization too from like academics to oh yeah uh you know every branch you can imagine so that's a pretty neat one i, I wanted to shout out and, and say you know, if you guys are interested and you're in, you're in uniform, um, or even if you're not, but you're in that community, um, reach out, check out Fight Club. It's worth it for sure. But as a conference, uh, I was really impressed that um, the conference was as strong as it was given COVID. Sure. And then that 
Um, we happened to be right next to one of our competitors, which yeah. is, which was honestly amazing for us. Yeah. It was, I love competition. I love seeing what other people can do, especially when it's to the same goal that I have, which is mm-hmm. how do we help those who need it most get access to training and you're doing it too. Like, cool. I want to see this yeah. in action. So That's cool. It was exciting. Yeah, no, I loved it. It was, uh, I was like a kid in a candy shop. I could have stayed there for three weeks. Um, and, uh, and still not like had my fill. Um, and, and I, I like walked away super energized, um, you know, about some of the things that I'm pursuing and, uh, and about the industry as a whole. Um, and yeah, it was, it was just, uh, it was cool as hell. And I kind of let it slip earlier, but I know that my gamer audience needs to follow up on the fact that Chimera is based off of squad, right? And that's something that we're super familiar with. I've done a ton of squad content in the past. Um, I've actually got a clip in their trailer. Like they, they pulled a clip from one of my videos and tossed it, uh, in the trailer and like, you know, so you'll be browsing Facebook every once in a while and you're, you'll hear me chime in. Um, if you get an ad for squad, which I always got a kick out of. Um, so we love it. I actually, that game just got a huge update. I don't know if you've played it. Um, but it was cool at ITSEC getting to see some of the guys that built squad right from off world. Um, and, uh, some guys that left off world and created off world simulations and, and kind of the, the stuff that they're doing over there. And it was also cool to get to hang out with, uh, the, the guys that are, um, that are developing your, uh, well, not developing yours, but that have, uh, created the unreal game engine from Epic. So that was, that was awesome too. So tell me about the connection to squad and, uh, the folks there. Yeah. I mean, off world is an amazing team. So as I understand it, you know, I'm not the best to tell the story, but as I understand it. Um, there was a core team that built squad and how I actually got linked up with them was through Epic games. Epic games has been an amazing partner for a bunch of reasons. Um, so at the previous ITSEC before the pandemic, I went to Epic games is like, you know, after show party at how, how the moon or whatever that mm-hmm. place was called. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it, it's just like a, a nice networking event, nothing formal, nothing crazy. And, um, I was off by myself. I end up standing next to a dude at the bar and we started talking, he ends up being the guy who created and, and started squad and then, you know, formed this team. So he's still the CEO, I think of the, of the game, of the game uh, part of the house. And then they split and, and put like a separate division, which is the simulation company off world defense simulations um, under part of the, the same team. So there's still a strong link between the two. And some of our assets originally started in squad, which is fun. So it's cool to see them in, in our simulations, but, and then, you know, this team that Chris, who's the the main dude there from ODS, you know, this team that he has is incredible. They're doing amazing work for the U S military, um, and for others, but they, you know, they took on this challenge that I have for them, which was, Hey, you know, this is actually my second go around. I don't know if you know this. Um, do, do you want me to call you pairs, by the way? I don't know how yeah, this sure, works. That's like, fine. Okay, you I saw this in me. your video. Like, what's <laughs> you, can, that? you can totally call me by my first name. That's completely appropriate as well. Okay, cool. I just wanted to check. So, so um, you know, this is actually my second project uh, with VR and training, right? The first okay. one fell flat on its face, if you will, um, mm-hmm. after a lot of hard work, primarily because um, I was kind of working with a partner in the U.S. who who's, who wasn't willing to do it all the way. They wanted to hand it off to another organization and, you know, let it grow kind of independent of them. And it was so early. It was a unity based project. Um, you know, dude was just an avid, an avid creator and, and coder, um, and did an amazing job getting it to a certain point. Sure. And then, you know, 
he's like, I'm done with it. I'm going to sell my company to my boss and my full-time job. So I had to restart from nothing. And it was really, really, really tough. Um, And Offworld was extremely um, enthusiastic and also just really understanding about, hey, we need to build a prototype and get enough traction that I can get funding to fund this prototype and bring it to fruition in the market. And so they, I can't thank them enough. They will always have a place, a special place in, uh, in my heart. And if you ever use our system, guys, you will see the first thing when you open the system up, it says Offworld Defense Simulations, and then it says our logo. And then it says, pay attention to your boundaries, people, because you're going to run into stuff <laughs> in VR. Um, and then you get into the simulation. But they, yeah, they were phenomenal. Um, they continue to be a great support, and we look forward to a long relationship with them. Yeah, it's badass, man. <laughs> and, uh, man, that's so cool. Like, it's such a small world, right? Because I've been playing squad, I mean, since it came out. I played its beta, like, whenever it was in playtest. I played Project Reality, which was its predecessor. Uh, and I've been invested on it as a, as a hobbyist um, for a long time. And it's interesting now to, to have, uh, you know, to have this connection to the professional side as well. So um, that's pretty fantastic. And, yes, pay attention to your boundaries. I keep seeing these... Um, videos of you putting freaking VR headsets on people that run into 20 foot containers on Instagram. Um, pretty good stuff. The, uh, I know someone's going to wonder. So, so, so these guys are amazing. The guys from method endeavors, (laughs) um, fantastic guys. And basically, uh, we met at shot show and we started hanging out and, and basically I was like, I'm going back to Arizona for work anyway. I'll just stop by and say hi. They show me the range they work out of. I'm like, you know what? It's getting kind of dark and the sun just went over the edge of the, you know, the ridge line. So we could run the system outside if you guys want, because we didn't really have anywhere else to run yeah. it. it to, to provide so, context, right? So your your platform runs on an Oculus Quest and that's right. Oculus Quest don't like being outside, but if the light gets dim enough, it can create enough data from the light that it can actually operate. Anyway, sorry to interrupt you. No, that was the perfect context required kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So the Quest is an inside-out tracking system, which means that unlike other, you know, base station-driven systems, it doesn't need anything external to the headset except a reasonable amount of light and no direct sunlight that would wash out the IR, um, the IR little dots that flash on those controllers so we can know where everything is tracking-wise. So basically, uh, the sun was at the perfect kind of position where it wasn't too dark yet and wide open desert and so i was like let's go for it i started expanding the boundaries out we have a lot of fun with it and i said okay let's turn the boundaries off and let's see how far we can take this simulation across this entire space now the only trick with this if you ever turn the boundaries off on any any part of the quest because you can do it just from the, the main menu is you need to make sure you have a visual cue that is in perfect relation to the physical boundary right mm. so i'm like hey dude just put these barrels that are in our system. So it's like a drag and drop editor uh, inside of our top Yeah, that's Put smart. the barrel down, right? Put them down every like two feet all the way around everything that's concrete. And we're going to stay in the middle of this big desert over here. So we won't get close to this stuff, but just in case you do, you got something visual to refer to. And it's great because when you turn the boundary system off on the quest, it doesn't drift. It has a habit of drifting. If you leave the boundaries on and you take the headset off, put it back on, sometimes it'll, it'll slip. But it doesn't yeah, drift for whatever reason if you turn the boundary system off. Interesting. So, yeah. And we're still working on that. If anyone on this listening to this has a solution to the drift problem, please feel free to contact us because we're working on it. But there's still more ideas to probably come. So 
I tell this guy to put these barrels down. He's like, I got it. I got it. I'm like, okay, I don't check his work. That was my mistake. I end up doing the same thing with the other headset. I put the barrels down and hand it to his partner. And um, so he puts, he, he puts whatever cars down, I guess, instead of barrels. And he doesn't put them lined like one up after the other. Yeah. So when you watch that video and you see that he's, he comes around that corner, but he actually sidesteps perfectly. It looks like he's, you know, he knows exactly where he's going. Yeah. It's because he was stepping around a car. Okay. And then he goes to the other side of the car, not realizing that gap is not a gap. Yeah. He was like using a car for cover, not as a boundary. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, that's, that's awesome, man. That's, uh, that's too funny. But it, that speaks to how immersive virtual reality is. And I, I definitely want to get into some of the technical stuff and the game design choices and the sim design choices you've made and, and talk about that nuance um, as well. Cause it's uh it's uncanny. And I would, I have a Oculus quest, but my wife is literally using it right now in the living room. Um, she's playing you murdered her. Yeah. Oh yeah, bro. <laughs> um, or, or she converted you. Well, I, it started with me, but I, uh, I still have the rift, which I use connected to my PC. And then she's got the quest, which is much more portable, which just speaks to the value proposition that you guys deliver. Um, so effectively, um, but yeah, huge VR guy. Love it. Love to death. Um, and a lot of the guys in the audience and people listening to this right now have, have probably seen some of my onward stuff. They may have seen some of my demos of Chimera XR on Instagram. Um, and so it's, it's definitely not a new thing probably to most people listening. Um, but it is, it's just such a, a powerful tool. Um, the, uh, so let's talk a little bit about how the Chimera XR idea came about. So it's your second SIM project, kind of know where the support came from in the way of just like early development and, uh, and onward and all that, and, uh, excuse me, and, um, OD, uh, off world defense and all that sort of stuff. But why did you decide to make a CQB virtual reality SIM? Yeah, so virtual reality as a technology is very immersive and everyone can kind of see that part. I think what I didn't want to do was just say, hey, this is a different way to do screen simulators. So for context, um, in our militaries in NATO, we all have screen simulators. Most law enforcement agencies, same thing. Big projector, you know, onto a screen and and you shoot your, basically your service firearm um, with a laser insert or a laser attachment of some kind that gives a hit recognition. Usually there's recoil via some kind of compressed air or CO2, and it works reasonably well for what it's designed to do. It, it can work really well if it's with a good instructor. Um, that's where I started, right? That was the simulation experience sure. I was talking about before with firearms, where like most militaries, we have kind of classroom, the simulator and the live range. Yeah. And sometimes you go back and forth between the simulator and the live range. So yeah. I thought about that a lot. And I saw some of our competitors after my first project ended and competitors were starting to emerge in this field now, I saw them doing essentially a copy-paste. They're saying, you know what? Screen simulators are going to go down. VR is the new thing. Let's copy exactly what's in that screen simulator into that headset. And I said, I think that's a waste. I think yeah. that is not looking at the true potential that this new technology could bring because it's, it's vastly different. And anyone who's done VR knows this, but take a step back from your individual experience and look at it from like an organizational instructor level, you now have this control and this perspective on each individual member that you never did. You could never see exactly what they saw, right? I would never know without somehow like Freaky Friday being in, yeah. in your body. I would never know what your sight picture looks like when you get the, the cheek weld, right? 
versus, you know, now I can literally see what you see every second of it. And when you tell me about the co-witnessing and whatever detail, you don't have to draw it out on a whiteboard. You know what I mean? I can see it. So details like that, I thought were super interesting. And I didn't know how it all fit together. The puzzle was still in pieces. And I said, we're not going to try to do what everyone else is doing. We're going to focus on what this system could probably do really, really well and not and not really reduce any training value. So for example, characters in VR. I mean, anyone who's played uh, probably most of the first person shooters, I've only really done Onward, Pavlov, and maybe one other, but you've seen the faces on these AI, right? They're not, they're not video, you know, like 4K video quality faces. So when we start talking about like the law enforcement side and they need de-escalation and they need so many complex emotions, immediately I said, this is not, this is not going to be there easily, quickly, maybe not ever at this stage of the hardware. Um, the software is capable of it. The hardware is not at this stage. So let's focus on what, what this will do well. So that's yeah. why we need the pivot or not the pivot, but the, the shift to say, instead of doing what everyone else is looking at with de-escalation, let's focus on the tactical end of things. No, that's, yeah, that's a, that's a great point. And so you reference kind of like what it does well. Um, and to provide a little bit more description to, to people in the audience. Um, so when we're talking about like police de-escalation, we're talking about like reading, you know, the micro indicators on the, you know, someone's face and the, the, those tiny expressions that they may have. Um, and we'd want to, you know, be able to try to anticipate their behavior based off of um, what they're displaying. And so VR just doesn't have the ability to do that with like the requisite level of fidelity um, yet, at least, uh, at least at this juncture. Um, but what it does have is the ability to like do these macro movements and tactical training and, you know, tactics and, um, and shooting and moving from cover and things of that nature, which is kind of what, um, the Chimera XR SIM is going after. Um, so what is, what does that look like in function inside? Like if I put on this, you know, quest Two that's running your software, what sort of hardware goes with it? And then what does it look like in the SIM? Yeah, for sure. I'll always put a disclaimer on this when I describe the system that you'll never get a complete picture until you use it, uh, especially if you've never used VR before. I assume mo most of your audience has. So for those of you that have used VR, you know we do leverage as much of that experience as possible. So for example, if you jump in as a student in our system, then you only need to use the firearms that we give you. So we give you a, a simulated um, handgun, a, um, a lower receiver that can bolt to any upper receiver, for example, or a complete rifle. Uh, and so you can use any of those tools. We have a taser coming out next month as well. Oh, cool. And when you're in there as a student, you don't need the controllers. So the controllers become just tracking elements. You focus on running your hands or your firearms as you would in reality. And we leverage the headset itself as kind of your mouse pointer. So you use the center of your field of view to select the different menu options. And as a student, that's preferable because again, you're just keeping your hands where they belong. And then you load the, the scenario that you're looking for, the drill you're looking for. Um, and that will immediately launch you into anything from like a CQB run to active shooter response to uh, a vehicle tactics run, at which point you do your drills just the same as reality. That was one of the core fundamentals for us is every rep you've done live, especially like those of you like you, Justin, yeah. like, you know, you've done, you've done tons and tons and tons of reps. Um, those have to translate. 
yep. perfectly as much as possible. If they don't translate, not only could it be negative training, but you know, it's, it's just such a, it would be such a waste. You'd be like, Oh, so close. You know what yeah. I mean? But uh, so those, those tr have to translate through. So the first thing I always get someone to do when they jump in our system, as soon as they get past the initial, like, okay, I'm in the system, acclimatize is get some, just get some rounds on targets, see how the, the, the rifle reacts and everything looks and feels the same. If they get that cheek weld, how that cheek weld feels, if they need to adjust a little bit to make sure that it does feel, um, as one-to-one -one as we could possibly get it and then run a scenario and, and then run an AAR on that. So look at data points in the numbers and look at a 3D representation and see from different perspectives, the same event play out, which again, leveraging VR, instead of saying, let's just watch this on a screen, you know, walk around the room and stand at the other side of the room and look at the threshold and see how you came in the For threshold sure. or, you know, see it from above from a catwalk perspective. So that's, that's a, in a nutshell, the, the core experience. Outstanding. And can you, is this something you do by yourself? Can you do it with other people? Do they have to be with you? Can they be like geographically decentralized and elsewhere on planet earth? Like how does that all work? Yeah, it is a inherently multi-user design experience. And so we built everything so that it could function for up to 40 participants from anywhere in the world to be in the same environment. Now at this point, at this recording, you know, we've only ever really gone up to six people globally, just because we don't have that many units out there yet. Um, so we've had somebody, a JTAC actually from Germany, a, you know, um, a group of cops from the States, myself in Canada, all of us in the same active shooter response, all of us dealing with the same threat in a parking lot, you know, in that supermarket parking lot, working around the cars yeah. and trying to yeah. figure out where do I go? Where do you go? Do we do bounding overwatch? Do we do yeah. like an L ambush? Like who, whose tactics are we following here? And then we broke it down afterwards. Cool. No, that's, that's awesome. And there's huge, um, potential there for, you know, things like, uh, decentralized rehearsals, um, the opportunity to, to like prepare for like an actual operation potentially and do that kind of rehearsals, um, or for units that are just separated to, to train together or for like, God, even for like freaking COVID, you know I mean? Like there's so much, uh, uh, just uh, there's really cool potential there. Um, and then, uh, the other thing, so you, you talked about you, you guys provide weapons. Is that a new one? Cause I know when I, um, got hands on the system, obviously like I, I took some of the hardware that shipped with the system and I put it on my, like, you know, pieces of my weapons essentially at the house. Um, and just, uh, and it integrated seamlessly. So what, what else do you have in the way of hardware besides those attachments? Yeah. So that rifle that you saw at ITSEC, they're the recoiling rifle from That's right. a company called GBLS. They are making a phenomenal tool. And the reason I think it's really cool is because there's other recoiling stuff out there. There's other airsoft guns out there. But what GBLS did was they made an electronic, electric rather, an electric, a, uh, a blowback rifle that is is very well done. It's, you know, the weight, the bolt itself, the way it strips down even is is true to life. And then... Because it's electric, it's way better for, at, I think, our context in the military because, sure. you know, ch like charging mags is the standard, right? Like yep. putting gas in hands of airsoft. And I get that, but there's so many things that can go wrong with that. And especially when we talk about, like you said, being able to deploy these forward mm -hmm. and, and how travel people and, yeah. right? And, like that's just one more thing you have to keep track of. Hopefully gas rings didn't fail. Hopefully yep. like, you know what I mean? Versus the electric battery lasting 5,000 rounds. Yeah. Like 
we didn't charge it almost at all the week of the show because yeah. it, it it lasted. So we're yeah. pretty excited about that one. And we have a few others coming down the pipe that will be like that. That's awesome. And uh, and where is uh, where is it deployed so far? I mean, who's who's using this thing? Who's got hands off? Who's your testers? Who's, you know, purchase units, whatever you're able to disclose? Yeah, so I have to thank our beta tester group who um, for a few months last year spent a good amount of time every week breaking down every part of the software and testing it thoroughly. Um, we've had some early adopters from the RCMP, our National Police Force in Canada, who um, helped us basically test and confirm our hardware. So, you know, the first client we ever had was the RCMP. They, they were the first to buy a couple of weeks after launch. Awesome. Luckily, we had, um, you know, Centrifuge Training LLC, which is a company out of the U.S., that is amazing if you guys are interested in vehicle tactics anything to do with shooting in around cars um just do a search for centrifuge on on instagram and so will petty and centrifuge training are the leaders of vehicle tactics and so their philosophy and also their curriculum is built into our system all of our vehicles are are ballistically rated we had them meticulously ripped apart and put back together to make sure all the meshes and materials are you know deflection versus penetration all that good stuff so um, Centrifuge helped us get quite a lot more reach through their network. So I, at, the, at this time, people are using our system. You know, we have uh, the U.S. Marshals. I spent some time with them in, in Los Angeles. They're great guys. So they have our system in, you know, a few parts of the country. Uh, the ATF just got their first system. The um, awesome. who else did they say? U.K. military are about to receive their first systems. And the Canadian military have used our system as well. Um, and then some smaller agencies, you know, some police academies, um, some private companies, some institutions that are going to be bringing them into their training facilities soon. Um, I mean, Orion was an interesting yeah. one. They're the first to use it, uh, I, I think, ever in the U.S., at least in, in um, CQB training, like, you know, live kind of force on force style CQB sure. training or force on paper. And, um, yeah, we're just getting started. It's only been a year so. Yeah, you mentioned those are, that's that's awesome, man, and congrats because that's a uh, hugely successful in in your first year, especially. Um, the uh, you mentioned Orion, obviously, super good group of guys. Had the opportunity to to speak with them occasionally on social media. I know that you got some reps in with them, which is fantastic. I think that might have been the first time I saw Chimera is when they got hands on. I think I probably learned about it just prior. Maybe I reached out to you just prior, uh, but somewhere like near simultaneously with that, I saw um, Orion had gotten hands on. And, uh, and, and I was like, I was immediately interested, obviously, cause I, I saw some of the potential there, but, um, what's your experience been like working with the Orion training group guys? Um, I know post ITSEC, you attended one of their courses. How was that for you? Um, did you have a lot of CQB background prior to that? I know you, obviously you're in the infantry. Um, we all know like the reps you get in the military are not like high intensity, high quality CQB reps, unless you're like very specific units, um, or you've got like a very specific task. Um, so, so how was that whole thing? Yeah, Orion is a, a fantastic company and, you know, Jared and his team are, are true professionals. I'm very impressed. I think the, the social media side of things is, is kind of hilarious because you never know for sure if, you know, organizations are what they appear to be and, and yeah. people can talk a good game sometimes and they certainly have great content, for example. But, you know, as soon as I met jared in person it was it was imminently clear that like everything i thought he was about uh was was just the tip of the iceberg that guy's super serious about what he does he really takes it to heart and uh you know he showed up prepared he had a notebook and a bunch of notes about talking about what we're doing and how it could interact 
the course itself was was run very very well it was my style of course maybe not everybody likes this but it was very long and intense days with you know kind of minimal war stories if you will you know what i mean like minimal hey let's talk about stuff like it it was it was very much like training you know what i mean like this is freaking reps this is yeah and like the reps the reps were really enjoyable to watch other people go through too. You know, like sometimes in training, you're sitting there going, I'm not going to watch those guys do the reps. Like I get it. The first couple of times you get something out of it, but watching SWAT teams from different parts of the, of the country, um, watching some civilians go through it, who'd done mm-hmm. other classes. Um, one of my own guys was there with me and one of my buddies, Dave. And uh, anyway, so yeah, I learned a lot. I mean, my experience with CQB in the military is, is like you say, it's not very high quality in the CQB realm, like we just don't in the reserve infantry side of the house, like you're lucky if you get one or two concentrated exposures. And, you know, other than that, unless you want on deployment or like you said, or with a special unit, you're just not going to get, um, you know, a great amount of information or, or reps that are beyond the basics. Like, and, and that really freaked me out because I like running the rabbit, for example, like yeah. something as simple as that took me so long to just wrap my brain around with my feet that I actually ran into somebody the first time I did it because I was just like, no, this is not how this works. Like I can't shoot this way and walk that. This is crazy. Um, So I really had to break out of some of that like flat square range thinking Mm -hmm. even now, you know, even after years of training and doing all kinds of stuff. So it was crazy. Yeah. It it changes the way that uh, they think about it. And for running the rabbit, um, just for those listening, it's a it's a close quarters battle movement where you're entering the threshold threshold, just a fancy word for door, uh, and you're generating like rapid lateral movement across the long wall that you're enter- entering. So uh, imagine like corner fed room. You want to go deep into that corner, so you generate like a ton of lateral movement. It makes it harder uh, for someone who might be barricaded in a hard corner in that room to engage you as you move laterally against them. Typically paired with someone that's gonna like immediately follow you into the room and then just hold the threshold and shoot deep into it. So that's just like the the mental picture for those of you who might not be familiar with that. But you, to your point, like that's something that can be trained in Chimera extraordinarily well because a lot of people haven't moved laterally and shot. Um, and you start and and you'll find that if like if you're a right-handed shooter and you're moving laterally right, like you're okay. But if you're a right-handed shooter moving laterally left and uh, and you're not used to shooting offhand. Your, your torso does not bend that way. And so that's why you see a lot of people either training, shooting right-handed from that awkward angle really frequently um, or learning to shoot from the offhand um, quite a bit. But again, that's something you'd never know unless you go and train it uh, and you feel it. Um, and uh, it sounds like it's cool that they're exposing um, even like civilians and, and people who haven't gotten uh, like a, a core curriculum to, to stuff like that. Pretty simple tactic, but still like a awesome experience. And uh, especially just getting to see that like broad array of experience from various SWAT teams and military and otherwise um, in one place at one time. That's an extremely unique opportunity. Yeah. And they were all at, they were all at different levels, but it was very surprising to me because I always thought CQB was one of those subjects that like, Hey man, like this team is at a level, like they're going to be in a separate whole part of the fucking building. You know what I mean? Like there's no way we're going to be able to do training together because I'm going to slow them down. And that just didn't happen, you know. I mean, um, there were teams that had run reps, real, real, you know, drug raids or whatever as as sure. SWAT teams. You could see that, you know, you could see the nonverbal comms. You can see yep. how much they flowed without, you know, without as much like hesitation or anything. But 
Yeah, it was it was a really well run course, and I got to commend their you know early adopter bravery for using our system as a as a background activity during cool. the final day, where basically we had one person in the rifle, one person in the handgun, um, and just repping out you know force on force or force on paper, um, working the threshold, same kind of stuff you're talking about, you know, just doing the hands and feet, and you know getting getting lots of reps quickly. Um, and then, you know, passing the headset to the next guy and, and getting cool. reps. Yeah. And yeah, that's, that's awesome. That's, uh, that's really good to hear. And it, it gives you like a concurrent training opportunity too. Cause like if you're doing a validation event or you're like, you're, you're validating the end of a curriculum where it's going to take a dude a few minutes to get through a shoot house, for example, you can still be training with the headset while that's going on. So it just, it, it adds, uh, another layer of, uh, of opportunity there. So that's, that's awesome. sounds like you guys got a ton out of it. I would love to go to the, one of those courses. One of the things I picked up on when, when you just were we're talking about like the idea of maybe being separated elsewhere um, in the training facility during an exercise like that is I feel like there's um, this sense that like tactics and doctrine and training is like magic um, to people that haven't touched it. Uh, but it's, it's not, it's uh, it's, it's actually very simple. Um it's extremely difficult to master. Uh, it takes a, a ton of training and, and you need to, you know, know people and professionals who are prepared to mentor you and develop you and make you better. Um, but it's not black magic and, and quite literally anyone can be trained to do it as long as they've got the, the physical capacity to do it. Um, and, but there seems to be like this barrier to entry. A lot of times it's, um, there's like a stigma attached to it perhaps. Uh, and a lot of times there's some, um, consternation with the folks who have experience in the military or otherwise that are essentially just gatekeeping. Um, you know, if, if, if I'm in soft and you're conventional, then you're not good enough to train in, in me. If I'm in the military, but you're a cop, you're not good enough to train in me. If I'm in SWAT, but you're a patrol guy, then you're not good enough to train with me. If, if I'm a patrol guy, but you're, you know, an academy candidate, then you're not good enough to train with me. But um, when you can find a group of people who can get beyond that and just like go train, everyone gets better. They've got different TTPs for different situations and they just get, uh, so much benefit from it. And uh, so I'm glad to hear that that's kind of the culture they're instilling there. That's, and that's a huge point. I think that's starting to catch on a lot more in the last maybe five or 10 years, more in the States than in Canada. I wanted to catch on way more in Canada, but I think we are just a little bit slower to adopt things. And you guys are really quick in, in some of these ways, because you hit it perfectly that the, the barriers to accessing knowledge, you know, and, and like the, the concept that, it is indistinguishable from magic. One of my favorite quotes, you know, is um, Arthur C. Arthur C. Clarke, right? Any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable yeah. from magic. Well, yeah. like same kind of thing you said when you see SF teams rolling through a house, and you're like, sure. how how did they do? How do they do that? Like, I can walk through a house with a gun, but I can't do everything they just did in that kind of way. And when I was prepping for selections, and I was asking and talking to people, like, like why? What makes SF so good like being amazing at the basics being amazing at the fundamentals is the core thing I, I kept getting back from it and of course there's like intrinsic values and things that you guys have that allow you to you know work together seamlessly mission focus and, and certain things that I I was really really excited to like even touch a little bit and be part of but this concept that like you know it there's something vastly different from what you know, conventional versus SF, or like you said, different layers are doing, I think it's, I think it's a, a detriment, you know what I mean? It can be a detriment and sometimes it's a crutch for like lowest common denominator training as well. Sure. That, yeah, that's a hundred percent true. 
Um, and, uh, and gosh, man, the basics that, and that's the difference between, in my opinion, soft and a layman or a conventional force or whatever is, um, it's not like magical tactics. It is a devotion near religion to the fundamentals and to the basics and to like a degree of discipline that is difficult to put into words. Um, and you've just got to be willing to, to get those reps and work that hard and, and just do it. Um, but I've seen plenty of conventional force guys. Like if you, if you have like one squad with a badass squad leader and badass team leaders who has some requisite knowledge and, and you know, they're committed to it. I could, there's plenty of those squads out in the army that you could, um, put up, I wouldn't say against a soft element, but that would perform similarly to them, um, without a whole lot of, a uh, whole lot of different, uh, in the way of training. Um, Coming out of SHOT Show, I saw two things. One, Recoil Magazine. That's huge. Uh, congrats. And then two, Travis Haley wearing an Oculus headset. <laughs> Thank you so much. Yeah. Yeah, that was wild. Uh, the Recoil Magazine article was a phenomenal compliment that, you know, we at our early stage are, you know, getting to a publication that I have long thought was one of the best in our yeah. industry. Um and the way they wrote that article, if you guys um, haven't checked it out, it's the October issue. Um, I think it was like one of the most controversial recoil issues ever as well um, because of the guy that was on the cover and and, and some things around that politically. But um, the article itself compares us to Vertra, Vertra being a screen simulator company, exactly what I was talking about earlier. And it's hilarious to be compared to this company that's 20 plus years old. It's on the NASDAQ, you know, it's a, a publicly listed company yeah. um, that is, you know, selling $300,000 screen simulators. Um, and it's a very impartial article. Like it, it doesn't, it doesn't like sway one way or the other, but it just yeah. describes both technologies and kind of lays it out. And so i mentioned that because Travis Haley, if you guys aren't familiar with how he operates in his training, um, his training side of the house, his D7 program, you know, he he has a virtual 300 degree system mm-hmm. right there and he uses it all the time. And another, I think he even has a second one. And so, you know, this kind of parallel of like literally running the system next to Virtua's V300 has happened. It's happened, yeah. I think, three times to my knowledge for like our tiny little company just getting started, you know, sure. really, really like, um, you know, strappy, like scrappy little company is is getting some Goliath of a person to, you know, try something completely out of their wheelhouse. And uh, yeah, it was it was just exciting. And I, I love seeing what people will do with it, right? That's the kind of sure. core thing is like, what that's why I wanted to send you one, right? Is like, what will you do with it? I don't know. Yeah. Maybe you will see something completely different. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's that's awesome. Um, the uh, I, I do think it's awesome that Travis uh, got into it and and talking to some guys um, who I'm connected with over at Haley Strategic, it seems like his reaction to it was extremely positive. Um, the uh, but yeah, it, it does it does. We haven't talked a lot about like the editing feature. I know you said it was kind of like a drag and drop thing, but for those listening, you can um, you can create drills like on the fly. There, there's a bunch of drills that ship with it, but you can also like give in this space. Um, drop a bunch of barricades, drop some targets, drop in op four, program them to behave in certain ways, weapon, no weapon, you know, male, female, adult, child, whatever. Um, and you can basically create on the fly scenarios that are extremely challenging. So from an instructor perspective, um, there's an enormous value proposition there. Um, 
again, it would never replace in my estimate live or force on force training, but it absolutely supplements it. And it does things like get you those repetitions um, and a lot more repetitions faster than it would, you know, to, to work up to a, a live fire exercise and, um, and, and do that like entire process, which if you're in the military and you know what it takes to get to like a battle drill six or CQB live fire shoot house, you know that that's an arduous process, well worth it in the end. But oftentimes it means you may only clear a structure two, three, four times over the course of an entire week. Um, you know, whereas like in this kind of a simulated environment, you could do a hundred or 200 or 300 reps in that same, you know, kind of digital space, uh, in a couple afternoons. Um, and, uh, and so it's a great tool to be able to work up to, uh, to a live fire, I think. And, and that's kind of where I see the value proposition is how can I use that tool, um, to prepare dudes to move into the live fire scenario, um, but get all those extra reps that otherwise would have been done by putting engineer tape out on the grass and doing glass houses. Um, cause it can essentially replace that almost in its entirety, which is, uh, where I think like a lot of the value really is. Yeah. Yeah. And I want to get into, I I'm so curious about your experience with ready or not. And some of these yeah. games, uh, and like the, the kind of interplay between those games and what you see with this system. But, you know, like, I don't know if you've experienced this. I'm sure somebody listening to this will, will have experienced the same thing where, you know, one of the only live fire shoot houses I did in the military, because it was, it's pretty rare in the Canadian military yeah. in general, in my experience, you know, not speaking on behalf of anybody, just myself is, you know, it, it was, I think three live reps of, you know, two room structure after doing a bunch of dry and blank. Yep. And then those live reps, like, I think I made a mistake in the last rep that I never got to, you know, work out, right. Mm-hmm. I never, I never got another, my reps were done for the day. I, yeah. I rotated over to the freaking ied stand and that yeah, was yeah. it you know like there was yeah. no there was no chance to run that again or and there's also no furniture in the room there were yeah, you know that's a huge one there was nothing uh, impeding me there were no people to deal with um yeah like my brief experience working for jtf2 you know in in an op4 role and not able to speak a lot about it but you know the complexity that they brought to their scenarios really highlighted to me that like it takes a long time to get yep. there. Yeah, for sure. And and part of that speaks to the difference between like live fire versus uh, force on force training. Um, and when I say force on force, I don't mean like squad for squad. I mean like putting op four in a structure and, and, and uh, assaulting it with like a, you know, a force ratio that would be appropriate for the threat. Um, yeah, live fire conditions, you're building confidence in your equipment, you're building confidence in your teammates. It's a validation event so that you feel comfortable moving and shooting with live rounds um, with your buddies. Uh, but you're not like getting those complex interactions with people that are trying to hurt you. <laughs> um, whereas in Force on Force, you do get that, right? And that's uh, that's where the huge value is. And there's this debate in, among military professionals for as long as you know I ha- uh, I've served. And for, for just years and years and years, I've always heard, is it what's more valuable? Is it the live fire training or the force on force training? I tend to be honest with you. I tend to, to trend towards the force on force training. So long as it's a extremely high quality, um, and you do not forgive mistakes that would have resulted in safety issues under life conditions. That said force on force without live fire is irrelevant because the best force on force um, you know, unit in the world, if they don't trust each other enough to, to sling live rounds past each other, they're not going to be able to perform in combat. Um, so it's a, it's, it's a careful balance, but I, I tend to trend more towards the force on force side. Sometimes, um, you know, people emotionally disagree with, uh, with my assessment of that. Um, but, but speaking to people, people get super emotional about it. They they do. Why? 
But one question I got for you, I, I got to ask you yeah. this. I will kick myself if I don't. So you've done, I don't know, probably like thousands of rounds of, of force on force. And have you experienced this point getting to this conversation about like fun and where fun becomes problematic, where, you know, people are enjoying some elements of this for sure, right? Like yeah. training is enjoyable for most people that do it all the time, or, you know, they probably wouldn't be in that job. Um, and then you get to those points where like the simunition, like you said, it would have had a horrible effect if that was a live round, but we stop really caring because even wearing enough gear, we don't really feel it as much, or we've just had it enough that you're like, I'm not, I don't have the anxiety about it anymore. Shoot me as much as you want, freeze the sim rounds and then sure. shoot me with them. Like, I don't care. Um, where do you find in both like this kind of physical live quote unquote live environment, we say in the simulation industry, right? Yeah. yeah. Whether it's our force on force, it's the yeah. live environment versus like the simulated environment and gaming. Where does fun, where do you think that interaction is between fun and training? And then subsequently, have you seen it get to that point where like, hey, we're losing value now because they're not taking it seriously. And then did that translate into any of your overseas experience? Yeah, um, man, amazing question, multi-part answer. Um, so like, <laughs> yes, I, I've definitely seen training. I've, I've been a part of very miserable training that stayed extraordinarily miserable, miserable but was nonetheless valuable. Uh, and I've been a part of extremely fun training that deteriorated into less value because I, I think it was too fun. Um, where is that line? It is squishy. I think the um, the key variable that determines where that line is is the professionalism of the force that is training, uh, and that kind of goes back to like some of the key differences, you know, between uh, soft or, or full time SWAT guys and like these professional forces um, versus you know their entry level counterparts. It's not that they're better human beings; it's that a lot of times they have more experience, more discipline, uh, and they're more professional. Um, and those professional forces can partake in activities that are extremely fun like jumping out of airplanes is arguably fun if you're into that sort of thing um you know if you're a dive guy like diving can be extremely fun if you're into that sort of thing explosive breaching can be extremely fun if you're into that sort of thing um you know hr and direct action reps and cqb stuff can be extremely fun if you're into that sort of thing but these are also the activities that carry with them the most inherent risk um, there's a reason reason that those tasks are preserved for like this tiny tiny slice of all professional military forces, uh, certainly all Western military forces. It's because they are ex exceptionally di uh, difficult and they are exceptionally dangerous. Um, so you've got like this weird blend where like the super fun stuff is also extremely dangerous. And so you have to be extremely careful um, on how you train it. Um, thinking about like specifics for me, um, you know, I've done some like, you know, 30, 40 kilometer dismounted foot movements into a force on force assault. Um, that movement, those movements are not fun. <laughs> um, the assault is, you know, but everything up to it sucks. Uh, but I think the difference in like military training is you're being assessed the entire time and there's like real consequences. Um, you know, it's, it's who's going on the next deployment is hinging on the, your performance on this assault. Um, or like we're, we're, we know we're going to war and our performance here might be the last time we get to practice before it's real. Um, so like when you add that those consequences to training. Um, I don't want to say it becomes less fun because it doesn't, but it becomes more serious where the, that, that stimulus of the severity of the consequences outweighs the fun and you can't feel the fun anymore um, because mm -hmm. the, because the consequences are dire for getting it right. Um, so that's kind of like on the serious side, like long walk into assault, super fun, super miserable. Um, 
but there's like some emotional play based off the distance to like the next threat that you might encounter, be it a deployment or otherwise. Um, for fun training, I've, uh, <laughs> I think like I, I, w- I was once allowed to go train in this massive abandoned structure um, and we just ripped it to shit. <laughs> and uh, like it was, uh, we got to breach all the doors, you know, we landed helicopters on the roof. We, you know, drove armored vehicles through the walls. Um, it was a, it was a blast. It was an absolute blast. And I would say we did it for like 10 hours, uh, day into night. And, uh, it started off extremely serious and had devolved into chaos by the time we left, uh, that night. And like by the end of the night, we were just, um, you know, splitting squads up and loading up with like combat loads full of UTM or, or sim rounds and, uh, and just, you know, playing airsoft or paintball in this massive structure. Um, so was that valuable? Like, yeah, yeah. The first, the first part was extremely valuable. Um, was the second part valuable is still valuable for sure. Um, you know, there's something to be said about camaraderie and just like having fun. You gotta be able to do that. Um, but it was risky cause you learned bad habits. And, and the last thing that I'd say is that you're also experimenting. So while there's this risk of negative training, there's also a potential for positive training where through this like chaotic, unplanned, unrehearsed, spontaneous moment, a new TTP is developed that you might actually reincorporate into your serious training. So I think it's, it's important to just know like we've gone from scripted, deliberate, hard, serious training to experimenting. And experimenting can be, you know, that can be enjoyable and it can be fun. But sometimes when you're, you're, you're doing that TTP development, you got to be like, all right, we're going to keep this one guys brain dump all the other stuff. We're keeping this one. It's good. Uh, throw it back in the hopper and, and we'll run it tomorrow. I, that was a long, that was a, a rant that maybe you didn't need all of, but hopefully it provided some context. I needed it. I needed it. No, I, I appreciate it. I asked a complicated question and I got the, the appropriate answer. The I don't know if anyone else is fascinated by this. There's there's certain like TV shows or things where they pit, you know, like military teams against civilian and like paintball or airsoft or online stuff. Yeah, I sure. always find it fascinating, right? Like, like what, what does the civilian or non whatever military team do that gets them any kind of success? And is it just pure luck? Or like you said, like they stop taking it seriously um, that gets them success over the military team? Because I remember finishing my infantry course with my, with my friends. And, you know, we're all like, we come straight. We're still like buzz cut, like just yeah. fresh off of course. We're like, go do paintball and destroy some kids. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it doesn't work. Like no, what? No, it doesn't. It doesn't work why, in games. It doesn't the, work on in airsoft. It doesn't work in paintball. Um, yeah. I think it's a, it's a two or three part answer. The first part, the most obvious part, frankly, is because tactics aren't magic, right? Like it goes back to that. Um, there's a reason that special mission unit operators die in combat. Um, it's because tactics are not magic. Um, and it doesn't matter how good you are at CQB. If there's a, you know, a pressure plate in the first funnel, like you're stepping on it. Um, if there's a barricaded shooter under a bed, he's going to hose down the door. There's only so much you can do to mitigate those risks. And like, that's a very serious way to compare it. But it, the same is true. If I, if I take highly trained people and go throw them against a bunch of kids, um, you know, there's uh, untrained people with guns are still, people with guns and that tool is the ultimate equalizer there's things that we can do to gain you know marginal advantages over one another by training our ass off and and that's why we take it so seriously and we do it um but it 
definitely doesn't guarantee that you'll ever be undefeated. The other thing is that um, in war, you can die. <laughs> and when, when you know there's a risk of being severely injured or worse, you behave much differently than if you're going to get stung by a paintball or an airsoft BB or a pixel in a game um, or otherwise, right? So, like, your, your behavior is going to change uh, significantly. And, and that causes the, – the reason, like, fire superiority and suppression works is because being suppressed – um, is terrifying. Like it's much more easy to be pinned, um, you know, by a support by fire that's rocking three two forties in a, a shoulder fire than it is to be, you know, pinned by guys like shooting airsoft BBs at, at me. If I, if you're shooting airsoft BBs at me, I'm gonna throw a smoke and sprint and just see what happens. And the consequences, I like, I have to sit out for twenty minutes. Um, you're not gonna do that if it's a live support by fire. Um, so that's that's kind of like the answer. So that's that's like the tactics answer. It's because tactics aren't magic. Um, the other answer is because. Where, mil- where professional militaries excel beyond just tactics is all of those ancillary skills that it takes to make the guys in the fight successful. So, like, how did those guys get there? What, what was the logistical tail that deployed them all the way to the front? What's their communications architecture? What's their medical architecture? Um, how are their reports functioning? How are, you know, they able to, to evacuate their casualties and reconsolidate? Um, who's controlling the macro movements of where these, you know, platoons and companies and battalions and brigades and, you know, uh, brigade combat teams and divisions and task forces and how are they controlling the way they all move it's this broad mission command infrastructure um and that is what makes professional militaries professional i can teach a group of civilians to fight with small arms in a matter of literal hours probably um certainly hours or days and at least be functional um you cannot do that with all those ancillary kind of things that i described yeah, and that's super interesting. There's a company called Blackline Simulations just over here in Canada. And Blackline, I, I think you would really enjoy what they do because unlike most Airsoft games, this is literally focusing on those elements you're just talking about where cool. it's like they don't they may not fire a shot the whole thing. Or they may just fire one or two rounds at the end and, and that's you know, that's it. But it's it's not the typical airsoft game. There's planning, there's um, surveillance, there's, uh, like use of Stano equipment and target acquisition and, um, and, you know, planning and rehearsals. Like it's, it's incredible the depth that some people will go to without putting the uniform on and actually serving, they'll, they'll do everything leading up to it and, you know, and, and be impressively functional at it to the point where I remember a dude with a, uh, a two forty nine um airsoft and he was doing exactly that and it was it was effective to a point i mean they were because like you said mindset it comes back to do they have the mindset are they treating it seriously well they were so they weren't you know they didn't just run into the doorway where the guy was like posing with a 249 and so it delayed them enough that it bought the interior force time because the exterior force couldn't breach until they figured out how to get around this you know this terrible position where they're Literally just like there's only one entrance at the back, one entrance at the front of this theater that they were trying yeah. to breach into. Um, yeah, that's fascinating stuff. Yeah, it's uh, I'm, I'm excited. Actually, I'm myself, a couple dudes that are in the audience right now uh, and a few others who, who people are likely familiar with. But I'm not going to spoil it because it's a surprise. We're going to um, a, a pretty, pretty robust airsoft event. I've never been to one before. Um, I've spent most of my adolescence believing all stigmas associated with that community are accurate and have like kind of come around and and just seen it as a recreational force on force training opportunity of late. Uh, So I'm going to take advantage of that and I'm going to like get set up with the right kit and I'm going to go to um, a place that's not local, but kind of local to me. Um, It's like a 48 hour event on a a pretty legit 
uh, mission training complex. And um, yeah, I'm really excited about it. It'll be cool. Uh, free reps. Well, not free, but nearly free reps. Yeah. <laughs> Cheaper than, than, uh, than live or otherwise. Um, so I'm excited. And I look forward to like creating some content from that and sharing a more informed perspective on uh, those kind of simulation events. Cause it, it's just a live, it's a massive live constructed simulation is all it is. Um, so on the gaming side, you referenced uh, ready or not. And some of these other like titles, are, are you a gamer? I don't think we've actually like talked hard games before you profess to have used discord. So I assume that you've at least played some <laughs> video games. Um, what's your experience in ready or not? And uh, yeah, H- have you played it? No, I haven't. I'm honestly, man, I am. I'm not going to call myself a gamer. I love video games. I love um, sure. first-person shooters. I love like like Age of Empires. Like I love like a variety of random things. Um, maybe not as much variety as you. I'm still impressed by how many things you dive into. But you know, um, I think my last real first-person shooter time, like hours and hours and hours on one game, is is uh, Splinter Cell. Okay. You know, like Splinter cool. Cell Blacklist. Yeah, yeah, love that game. I thought it was just unbelievable amounts of fun and trying like different FPS in, in like Onward and uh, Pavlov in VR was amazing, especially something as simple as like a zombie game in VR. Sure. Um, it, it scares you. Right. And you're like, Oh yeah, I'm not an easily scared person. Right. I yeah. think I'm not an easily scared person. And then you turn around and they're like, hands are right there. And you're just, you just get that immediate, like potential nervous system yep. reaction. So I'm really excited to try ready or not. And I'm, I'm excited to hear, about some of these games and what you think you know is is like what draws you to them so much because you've obviously done all this stuff for real more than anybody listening to this call probably or this podcast but um what draws you to them so much and like what what do we need to learn in the simulation community from them Mm. um well part of it is they're fun right we kind of we spoke to the fun thing earlier a little bit um i i i game for much different reasons than i train um but there's definitely a synergy there like there's there's a reason i play tactical games it's it's like it's what i'm passionate about right um ready or not is is very unique it uh it's based off of a a game called well it's the historical successor to swat 4 um the swat series of old was um really kind of the first major effort to to do tactical shooters right swat 4 um widely agreed upon i think it's safe to say that as as kind of the greatest tactical shooter of all time based off of just its mechanics and things like that um they penalize you for collateral damage they they're pretty in-depth weapon selection and customization um the artificial intelligence behaviors were reasonably authentic and and certainly by the standards back then it wasn't just like bad guys shooting at you um they'd fake surrender and then when you turned around you know they'd they'd pull out a a weapon and and try to harm you if you didn't secure them they'd run away um you'd have you know civilians that uh that were non-compliant that you had to kind of go through escalation of force procedures on to to get them to um to surrender so that you could you know get them in flex cuffs um you had to do, you know, sensitive site exploitation to a point and collect evidence as you went and uh, collect weapons and, and report as you went. So you had to, you know, if, if you made contact and you, you killed a bad guy, you had to report it. You had to take his gun uh, and, and all that sort of stuff. So Ready or Not keeps all of that and it brings it to modern standards. Um, mm. And, it, and it's, it's still early, right? Like it's still in early access. Um, but by all accounts, I am of the opinion that it has achieved, 
you know, it's picked up appropriately where SWAT four left off. So it's still doing everything I just described, um, but it's doing it in extremely high fidelity and it's adding a lot of quality of life stuff that were, was not available um, back then. And, uh, and it's also super moddable. So now you've already got the community creating objects. So like it's, it's a SWAT game, right? And my, myself and, um, you know, my buddy Karma Cut, um, who's a content creator and who's been on the show before and, and all the guys listening know him. Um, but he's, uh, he's leading an effort to, to take this SWAT game and make it a military direct action game. So he's reskinning all of the, you know, character models. He's importing, um, you know, military weapon systems. They've already got a couple of different levels knocked out. We're, you know, sourcing voiceovers from the community. I'm lending um, a hand in that regard. So like, You've got this extremely high fidelity project with all these amazing features that I've already kind of described. Plus it's super customizable and moddable by members of the community. Um, and it just, it, it, it's extremely special for the, for that reason. And the fact that it's still in early access and they're going to keep just dumping content is, um, is pretty exciting. They just announced today they're going to add oh. ni- like knives in the, in the near term. So you're not, it's like one more layer in the escalation of force. Like guy with gun pointed at me, easy shoot, right? Guy with gun pointed at the ground. Not going to shoot till you point it at me. Dude with knife, like new situation, something that like in the military I've not trained ever. Um, and uh, yeah, so it, it's, it's uh, I guess those are the reasons it's pretty cool. Um, and it's hard and it's punishing and it grades you. So like it doesn't have a replay system. If it did, that would be like next level. But it does have a pretty good AAR system where it looks at, um, you know, your accuracy uh, did you give these suspects enough time to comply? Like, was it a good shoot or was it a bad shoot? Um, you know, did you do thorough SSE and collect all of the stuff that was supposed to be collected? Did you send all of the reports that you were supposed to send? And then it gives you a score at the end. So it's a game mechanic that incentivizes like proper TTPs, which was, uh, which is pretty cool. Wild. Do you feel like the, that mechanic is accurate. Like, do you feel like at the end of it, you look at your score, like, yeah, I deserve that. Cause I think I saw a video yeah. where, where one of you guys shot a civilian and it shows up like dead center. It's like you had use of force or something minus 25. Yeah. And I'm like, okay. Yeah, I think it's pretty good. Um, it's not perfect. It is punishing. Like to, if you want to clean run, if you want to go through and get like, it's on a ABCD, whatever system, it, but if, to get like an A plus run is extraordinarily difficult. Um, mm. So, so it's extremely hard. I think like someone with a keen eye and like a background in, you know, this sort of professional work could probably help them tweak, you know, their sliders a little bit, um, to dial it in. Right. Um, but it, but it seems to be pretty accurate. Mm, I got to ask you this too. So in, um, onward, you probably experienced the, the shipping container level. Yep. You remember how you ever notice how if you exhale, you see your breath come yep. out because they're using the microphone. Yeah. That's, that's something that like, when I saw that, I was like, oh man, there's another level of immersion here that we there's, aren't exploring. Right. Yeah. Your, your brain does something there. I, I feel like anyone who's played one of those levels and onward where it's like cold outside and you're outdoors, you can see your breath exhale. I feel like everyone the moment you see that you kind of like open your mouth a little wider and you exhale from your chest you might even like put your hand in front of your face like 100 percent. everyone is guilty of doing it because you have a human brain and that's how our brain processes that information um so yeah Mm -hmm. there's there's a huge opportunity there um and that's not even like with like haptics or anything like that's just your brain turning an image into like a, a a sensation 
Uh, and right. then you, you like take that to the next like step that? and yeah, and you, you take that to the next step. And we talk about the recoil in your system, um, like haptic vests, like there, there's just so much, um, that we're like on the, on the cusp of, of accessing in, in virtual reality, especially that is, um, yeah, it's, it's freaking, it's magic. It's freaking magic. My, um, I had a family member in town visiting not long ago and, and I introduced him to VR while he was here. He purchased a quest on his way back home after his visit, uh, and he was like, so what's the deal with VR? And I was like, brother, it is magic. Like it is, it, I have no other way to explain it to you other than it's freaking magic. And it goes back to the quote, um, you know, in the advanced technology is, uh, is indistinguishable from magic if done correctly. And, and that, that is virtual reality. It really is. Uh, and as the hardware progresses and is able to support high fidelity software, it's going to get um, weird. Man. Yeah, you didn't try the XR three yet, right? You haven't seen that Vario XR three. I I tried it at ITSEC, um, but I don't remember what it was running. I, it might have been a uh, that is that the it's an AR platform, right? Yeah, it's they have the they had the Arrow, their new one, the Vario Arrow was running um, like Microsoft Flight Simulator, which yeah. was amazing. But the XR three is yeah, their their AR MR platform, the forward facing cameras like super wide resolution. Um, yeah. I think I use that. I think Bohemia had one in their, um, in their booth and it was, um, and they had like, it was a, yeah, it was cool. Bohemia had one and they had like integrated it with, um, VBS three. And, uh, it was like, it was a kind of tech demo, but the headset was pretty cool. Headset was super cool. Yeah. Yeah. Like they probably didn't do the full tech demo on the headset. They were just looking at the software in the headset, but you know, you got you got to try it, man. Like you got to try the whole like transition from AR to MR to VR and back. Yeah. Like yeah. that was the next stage for me. Like onward, that breath thing was one level of immersion. Yeah. Again, without adding haptics, without adding anything else hardware wise. Sure. And then that headset was that next level. So what what else have you seen? Have you seen anything else clever like that where they're like they've taken something simple in the software or in the interaction in VR and it's like oh that's clever and I feel like I'm doing it. Like I feel like I'm there. Yeah, I think, um, well, the the obvious one that you guys did was that you let me hold my rifle, <laughs> you know, like that. so that's uh, a win. Um, now the breathing is a great example of it. The, um, there's something to be said with like the 360 sound. Oh, oh. And, um, radio manipulation and onward. Um, it's true in onward. And then it's also true in VTOL VR. Have you seen VTOL VR? The video i've seen your video on so that that's one of the freaking coolest games I've ever played i'll be honest with you it's a flight sim but it is it's just cool um but both onward and vtol vr i'm sure there's some other examples as well they have built-in uh communications so if i need to use um you know line of sight radio to talk to my teammates who are too far away for me to use voice i have to activate a radio um so they have that built-in so basically they simulate a push to talk button like a toggle um on the webbing of your plate carrier or your flight suit, and um, and you put your hand up there, you squeeze the trigger, you can hear the depression, like the the click, the audible click when you activate that PTT, uh, and then you can push out. And there's like a little bit of delay. I don't know if it, you know by design or otherwise. Um, and then you can hear, you know, them uh, them talking, like your teammate talking back to you. They both do that extremely well. The other thing that uh, Vtol VR does that's cool that doesn't make s- I, I I don't know of any other game other than like a racing sim or a flight sim that makes sense is their little camera system where you can like take the GoPro and like move it around the cockpit. Um, it's just, uh, it's, it's extremely cool. And it, I mean, it, it's great for content creators. Um, 
But the one thing I'd say for from a VR perspective is the reason that that radio feature is so critical is it, this is another thing that it, it's difficult to train civilians, but military gets exposed to it super early is being able to work comms and fight and talk at the same time is extremely, extremely difficult. And we suck at training our leaders to do that. We're good at training people to fight. Uh, we're good at training people to to plan, but we are we we often struggle to train leaders to use all of their systems um, to fight while they're on the ground executing the plan that they so diligently crafted. Um, so there's an art and a science to knowing um, when, how, if to talk on the radio to who and when versus when to have a discussion with someone next to you, um, you know, versus when to use a hand and arm signal or when to use your end user device mounted to your chest to send a digital message. Um, in, in another way. And oftentimes, you know, I found myself as a leader having a conversation on two to three radio nets at the same time as I'm like talking to someone right next to me as the same time as I'm like reading a report on an end user device. And so being able to like just take in all of that data, not unlike a pilot, right? Um, just that is just uh, subject to this massive information overload, being able to take all of that in, sort it, prioritize it, and then make um, decisions based off of it is critical. Uh, so like in a VR sense, if you think, you know, you've got all these guys in a gunfight at an active shooter, what's the sergeant who got to, you know, the, the police sergeant who got to the call second or third doing in the way of like reporting back to dispatch, um, or coordinating the isolation, um, or the roadblocks necessary to, to seal off that site. So the guys can, can get in there. Um, so there's something to be said for, for that kind of a sensation. That's it's that's amazing. I never thought about that. The communication part of VR, like seen a little bit of it. It's even simpler, I think, than what you said, too, in terms of like the most common law enforcement example I see is that if you look at like police posts is a great uh, Instagram account. A buddy of mine, Adam, runs it and they do a great job of showing some incredible use of force captures. And the, the most common thing I've seen is cops get shot at or get shot. And the first thing they do is they. After, maybe even before they shoot back sometimes they will get on the radio and start saying shots fired shots fired maybe their location and it's like task versus priority immediately comes up right or like they're just so focused on having to talk on the radio that it's either taking up the hand and their brain or at least that hand and then they're doing this like yeah it's it's an extraordinarily applicable thing and like even 13 years on um 14 years on the this friend of mine that I'd known for a while, but kind of lost touch with and, and kind of talked again once he got into special forces, the guy, RG, I was talking about earlier, mm -hmm. um, now in simulation, um, he's uh, he's also qualified as a JTAC. Okay. And that's, again, one of those jobs, like he said, pilots, totally, you know, information overload. And so he gave a little talk on communication to uh, myself and some, of, and some of the guys I was working with. And you know, I thought I knew everything there was to know about communication as a theory topic, you know, yeah, like yeah. not how to the radio, but killing ambiguity and some of these terms and some of the ways he explained like, okay, but you're reading something at this speed to someone over the radio. Are they copying it down? Do they actually have pen and pad running fast enough to really get There's all of it? Yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, what, what gets lost and how do you, yeah, I'm, I'm actually more fascinated by communication than I thought I would be. So I think that's something we should work on more for sure. 100%. And uh, being able to, to do that accurately under pressure, like, again, it goes back to those, like, ancillary tasks that, that are unique to the military versus, like, a, you know, a civilian enthusiast who's still, like, well-trained and dangerous. Um, and, you know, we 
things we train over and over again. It's like your your nine nine line medevac, your salute report, your you know your troops in contact report, um, you know your uh, your your call for fire requests, your you know nine line cast, or your rotary wing call for fire. Like we have all these reports drilled into our brains, and then you have to do it under tremendous duress and potentially while you're at significant risk, um, and you have to do it accurately. Um, and so yeah, that's it's extremely hard to train those. Those reps are like they're real hard to come by. I think Sims is a they can be very good solutions for it. And frankly, games like are, are good solutions for it. I naturally tend towards leadership roles uh, in the games that I play. And over the years, that's been everything from like team squad size elements up to like platoon company size elements in some of these games. Um, and I will like come off of a session at the end of the evening and uh, be mentally drained and, and feel not unlike coming off of an operation or a training operation. Um, just from like the, the sheer, brain, yeah, right? the, the sheer just amount of communication, uh, and visualization you're doing and picturing your force and time and space mm-hmm. and, and trying to like do what you can to, you know, fight, um, you know, the just battlefield fog and, and, and make the right decisions. Um, cause you're still processing it all. The only difference is, you know, I'm comfy, usually a couple beers deep and the consequences aren't as dire. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's like something I feel like I want to come back to for a sec is negative training and people's aversion to games and like the dinosaurs that apparently still exist in our militaries that, Mm. you know, aren't, aren't ready to admit that, you know, while a VR or PC based solution is not going to perfectly mimic that firefight, doesn't matter, you know? Yeah. Like what, where is that line in your mind of like, I mean, ready or not looks amazing. Some of these games look incredible. Like it's keyboard and mouse. So, you know, where is there a diminishing return? Is that the kind of thing that if you could push that out to your unit, you would yeah, like, can, where is that? I, um, so a first person shooter at the squad level is tough. I don't see that quite as valuable. I really don't. Um, because so it can be value as a teaching tool. Right. Like I, what, what I've done, I've created videos like this before. Like there's a, a shoot house in a game called ground branch that we play pretty frequently. And I've, I've taken like my friends in there and been like, Hey, this is battle drill six, like how you enter and clear a room. And here's some things to consider when you do it. And done like a very, very rudimentary entry level, like understand this so that when we play together, we're doing it in a coordinated fashion. Um, and, and there's value in that. I, uh, I also know that like my door kickers videos, for example, which I'm, I'm a big fan of, um, I'm a big fan of my own videos, but the game I'm a big fan of. Um, (laughs) So, you know, I've had people reach out to me and say, hey, appreciate these videos. Can you do one on this? I'm using these as a source to teach like a group of West Point cadets, um, you know, tactical decision making, things like that. So like on numerous occasions, I've had people reach out. um, I I had a guy contact me on Reddit, say that he was showing a group of Marines like this sort of stuff and and helping them talk to it. So from like a visualization perspective, huge value. It's a chalkboard. It is a digital chalkboard for teaching uh, people how to think. Um, And you should be, you can leverage technology to teach anything. So there's no reason you can't leverage uh, technology, be it, you know, a professional simulation technology or commercial off the tel- uh, off the shelf technology um, to teach military professionals how to uh, how to do their jobs or at least you know do their jobs better um, as far as like mouse what and keyboard is- it's like it doesn't translate super well vr translates extraordinarily well some of it's like is it teaching or is it training i think it's super super easy to teach with this stuff i think it's harder to train with it yeah yeah for sure and like there's this i'm trying to remember what this account is you probably know what it is 
there's this account that's on Instagram that does like, here's a problem set. Here's a military problem set. It's just yeah. like a picture. You it's know like what I'm talking about? Tactical and decision game. Yes, that. And I saw that and I was like, it is so simple, but probably so effective for some people that just don't get to exercise that part of their head. So yeah. Well, and, and that's, that's a good way to pitch it to like the dinosaurs who don't understand modern technology, right? Because like uh, our, our warfighters right now, they're digital natives. Like the people that we're sending to war to fight for us right now, um, they grew up with this technology. It's not new to them. They're comfortable doing it. The people who aren't comfortable with it are their leaders. Um, and, and it's at the, their leaders at like the, the higher levels, frankly, because even like their mid-level leaders now are, are digital natives. You and I are digital natives, you know, in, in, uh, in our 30s. And uh, the so, – so the guys are ready to use it. Um, but these older dudes, they're used to growing up with with tactical decision games, and that's kind of what I grew up with in the military. Frankly, it's like here is a one to fifty thousand scale map. You're at this grid. Your target is this grid. Here's a, a satellite image of that target. What is your plan? Here's your resources available. Here's what we think the enemy looks like. Go uh, design an order, pitch it, defend it. Um, you can do that in a digital environment in a much more compelling way, of much higher value. Um, and you can iterate on it and experiment it with it much more. Um, and, and I think that's a great way of, of communicating the value of kind of these platforms to, to folks who may not yet be converted. Makes sense. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, man. The, um, but so the uh, Ready or Not, definitely like probably my, my favorite uh, or most entertaining and compelling like first person tactical game right now. Um, have you, are you familiar in VR with. Um, I almost hate to say it with uh hot dogs, horseshoes and hand grenades. I know of it. Yeah. Um, it's a travesty. I'm not going to hype it too much. Cause it, it, it's a, it's like one of the most capable tech demos I've ever seen come up short in the gaming department. Um, solo developer dudes, like crazy talented again, VR's magic. And he is a wizard. Um, physics and collision on the doors, mechanical breaching, like, Really compelling weapon manipulation mechanics. Everyone who's ever played it loves it. Um, but there's no... So he has ethical issues with humanoid targets of any kind. Um, so so it's like, it's so perfect. And then he stopped. Um, <laughs> but uh, but I, I, it's worth mentioning just because if you haven't got hands-on, it, it may be worth checking out because um, he, he gets a lot of... Uh, there's a lot that's really, really good with, uh, with, what, he's, with what he's doing yeah i will definitely check it out absolutely man well i'm I'm gonna start uh start to wrap this thing up it's been a glorious 90 minutes hanging out with you <laughs> um what else is on your I mean, mind I, any I, parting I, I shots what's up i said i loved it i hope your audience loves it <laughs> nah, i'm sure they did they're like us the um <laughs> what uh is, is there any parting shots anything on your mind anything you didn't get to talk about that you want to we've got time I just don't um, want you to feel like you missed out on a chance to share something that you're excited about. I appreciate that a lot. Um, you know, we're we're looking for people who are passionate about this. I'll definitely say that. You know, if you know, we've had some people reach out just out of the blue on social media or on Discord. One of the reasons I'm on Discord is literally because of Unreal Slackers and other communities on here that are pretty unique and kind of cool. hard otherwise to find. I don't know, maybe Reddit's not as good about it. I don't know why, but Unreal Slackers has been really neat. I see a lot of amazing ideas on there. Yeah. This is a rapidly developing field, as you said, VR's magic. Um, Quest has AR pass-through. People are leveraging AR stuff about it now. Like, there's there's a whole thing that's about to kind of evolve out of this. So sure. anybody looking 
listening, if you feel like you're excited by what we're talking about, um, just reach out, say hi, you know, maybe it goes nowhere. Maybe, you know, it's, it's your future career. Maybe it's um, just a, a good connection or someone new to talk to but please reach out to us on, on social media. Um, I mean, I don't know how it works on discord. I'm on discord as Chimera XR. Feel free to say hi, if that's better for you. Um, at Chimera XR on Instagram and uh, Taylor at Chimera XR.com on, uh, on email. Um, but I mean, I, I'm excited to see the next evolution and what people think of next, you know, what's the next breath turning into fog in, in Pavlov or, you know, radio communications perfectly replicated in, yeah. um, in, in onward and other games. So I'm excited to hear from your, you know, your community, um, what can we do better? We're going to post more. Uh, software focused videos showing the insides of the headset. We haven't done a good job of that yet. Um, you know, I'll, I'll be honest, our marketing department is is me. So it's not great. You know what I mean? Like your video review of our system is one of the best videos we have on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it's so clean. Uh, so we need to do a better job of that. And, and I think we're going to show more of the software. So um, we would love people's feedback about the software side of things. If you guys have ideas, we'll, we'll take them. It is to make our community safer and, and our, you know, our, our warfighters and our um, service members safer. Um, and then definitely, you know, the beta tester program. I think we're going to end up starting it up again, um, probably around the same time, probably starting in April. The guys who are in the last program, we're still kind of closing out and making sure we got all the feedback and making sure we got all of the like cool t-shirts and all that stuff sent out so that, you know, it's, it's a memorable thing in my opinion, right. To like be part of something like this um, and, and create it because it touches people in different ways. Just like your content has helped people. Like you just described at West point sure. or other places that you probably never imagined it would, or you didn't start it for that reason. Right. Um, Sorry. Cause so I'm a we, nerd. And you had fun with it and that's, yeah. and that was enough. And so, you know, people telling us that they're getting something out of our system or, you know, what they're, what they're doing with it. It's, it's, um, it's, it's life-changing for me. So if there are people out there listening that would like to participate in the beta group, um, you know, the only qualification that we need is that you're a uniform wearing individual and that could be in uh, law enforcement, security, or military. Um, but that's just because that's our focus right now. As I said, at the beginning, um, I strongly believe we need to have a consumer answer and, that is a very difficult technical challenge. It's not a, um, we often get this and I'd love to just address briefly, you know, knockout lights. If you guys are familiar with Mike Levy, um, an amazing instructor in industry, he posts um, a photo of him wearing our headset using our system and, and that he liked it kind of like Travis Haley did. Um, but the comments, people are starting to like dive into why does it cost this much, right? In our sure. system retail, on our website is $20,000. And we're like, oh my God. Like the quest two costs this much, you know, yeah. um, guys, please go do some, uh, you know, digging on your own download unreal engine. It's free, you know, go on YouTube, learn about it and, and build your own and, and learn about how it works. Cause it's one thing to talk about it. It's another thing to do it. Um, and it's, it's very challenging. We're still learning about it as we're doing it. So unfortunately it is you know, a difficult thing to say, it can just be like a $200 or $50 game on, on your Oculus app. It's not, that's not simple. And even, um, if we could do it right away, um, the harbor side, like you said, you know, when the feeling of having your handgun, your rifle in VR is a big part of this, we don't want people using controllers. We're not building a game. So 
um, to find something that is, you know, priced in such a way that's appropriate is yeah. super challenging. And I think it's something we want to do. So for those of you out there that are like, but I'm a civilian, this is so unfair. Like we hear you, trust me, we do. And we believe that you are deserving of the information. We're just, we're not going to do it unless we do it properly. That's awesome. That's a great way to wrap it up. And I appreciate you sharing all those ways that people are able to connect with you. Um, Taylor, I would like to be a part of your beta program. Uh, the, uh, but, but we'll follow up after this, man. But I'm extremely grateful you're here. Um, thanks for those of you guys who are in the audience here live and to all of those listening. And uh, Taylor, thanks for being so gracious with your time. This has been an absolute blast. We'll have to circle back here in six months or a year or whatever and get a, an update with all the awesome upgrades and changes and things that are coming along in your project. Um, but thanks so much for your time, man. I'll have, uh, hey, thank uh, you so much, man. Absolutely. Man. I'll see you. Yeah. Hey, if you guys, I don't know if this is allowed or whatever. If you guys in the audience wanted to say something or say hi, like, I don't I was actually, I was going to say, jump on YouTube.